Father, we pray, like we sang in that song, that you would show us Christ. We thank you that you have revealed yourself, and we pray that you would continue to do that right here and right now in the power of the Holy Spirit as we listen to your word. Have your way in our hearts, please. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here at Cornerstone, starting on the first Sunday of this year, we started going through the book of Revelation, and we're going to continue. We're, we're almost at the halfway point of the book of Revelation today, and we're coming to a chapter that I am guessing may be nobody's favorite chapter in the Bible. Um, and I'm guessing that it's a chapter that most of you have never heard a sermon on before, unless you've walked through an entire sermon series in the book of Revelation before. So the good news of that is, I guess, that this sermon that you'll hear today then will be the best sermon you've ever heard on Revelation 10. So. But maybe it's just a good time to stop and remind ourselves why we're doing this. Why are we walking through the book of Revelation? Well, the word revelation means that God has revealed things to us. He has told us things about who he is and, graciously, about what's coming in the future. That's what the book of Revelation is about. And, you remember at the very beginning of the book, we are told that we will be blessed if we read, hear, and take to heart what is there. Look at Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. So through the course of this sermon series, we will read every word of the book of Revelation. And I hope that we will also hear it and take it to heart. And if so, what will we be? Blessed. So that's why we're doing this. So chapter 10, although it may not be anybody's favorite chapter in the Bible, it does tell us things about God and his plan. It advances the story and anything that we learn about God will be valuable to us. So that's what we're doing and, and remember again that in the book of Revelation, he tells us what will happen, and he tells us how the end of the world will come about. Now, have you noticed that our culture has a fascination with the end of the world? And, and it's not just a new thing. Uh, in a moment here, I'm going to just run through a quick list of movies that have come out about the end of the world. But I did a Google search on this, and it's not just a recent phenomenon. Basically, ever since they have been making movies, they have been making movies about the end of the world or the end of humankind. In fact, just last night, I was curious, so I, I flipped on the TV to the TV Guide channel, and I found three movies that were playing at that time that had to do with the end of the world or the end of humankind. So let me just give a partial list, and we'll, we'll start a little bit back in history. Movies about the end of the world or the end of humankind. The Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Does anybody remember that one with the pod people? Anybody have any nightmares about that one? Raise your hand. We can talk about that. It's a safe place here. We can... Uh, War of the Worlds. I think that one was a, a movie about the book by H.G. Wells. Um, the Andromeda Strain. The Day After. Now, most of these movies I haven't seen. I'm not really into this genre of movie. Uh, but the next one is one that I saw and I kind of liked. The, the movie Armageddon. About a, a, was it a meteorite or an asteroid? A huge one that was going to come and destroy Earth. Um, there's others. The Terminator. Independence Day. And notice how some of these, they're guessing how the world is going to end. Is it going to be aliens who come? Uh, there's another one, the zombie apocalypse. Is it going to be zombies? Is that how mankind is going to be wiped out? Um, there's a movie called After Earth. And then there's one, I've never seen this one, I, I, so I don't recommend it, but uh, I thought the title was interesting. Seeking a friend for the end of the world. 
they, they had heard that the world was going to end, so they just wanted some companionship in those last few days. Uh, although, as I think about it, that's a great idea. Uh, the end of the world is coming, and who better to seek than Jesus Christ, who calls his followers friends? But I guess the people of this world are curious to know how the world is going to end. But here's the cool thing. God has told us. It's in his book. And, and today we're advancing the story. Last Sunday in Revelation 8 and 9, we saw a bunch of the destruction that's going to come from God as punishment for all the wickedness and sin of this earth. And let's remember that. As we read about punishment in Revelation, it's coming from a holy God as his wrath on sin as punishment on the wickedness that has been piling up on this earth over the last thousands of years. So in chapters 8 and 9, we saw the first six of the seven trumpets. And today in chapter 10, it's a little bit of a pause in the action as we're waiting for that seventh trumpet to be sounded. We'll see the, 11, the seventh trumpet in chapter 11, but chapter 10 gives us a little pause, a little time to think. So our, our goal today is to learn more about who God is and what he's told us about the end. So I want to first read through the entire chapter, and then after I read through it, we'll walk through it kind of verse by verse. So Revelation 10. <clears throat> then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take this scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, Take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Okay, so let's walk through this now. We'll start in chapters 1 and 2, and I just read them. And if you're just joining us in this series, the eye of Revelation is the Apostle John. The book of Revelation came about because the Apostle John was given visions from God about the future, and he wrote them down for us. Now, this is the same Apostle John that walked with Jesus during his time on earth. But John lived for quite a while afterwards, and several decades then, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the book of Revelation came to us. And we now have it in our hands as a gift from God, because he wants us to know these things that are about to happen. And in verses 1 and 2, John sees a mighty angel. And the descriptions of this angel are pretty awesome. In fact, they're so awesome that many people throughout church history have assumed that this angel was Jesus because a lot of the descriptions that we see here are like the descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Uh, I would tend to disagree, though. I'd maybe go with the more modern theologians now, like J. Ramsey Michaels, for one, who says that this angel simply represents God and his power in ways that other angels don't. So it's a, it's a mighty angel. 
And uh, do you know what the word angel means? Wherever you see it in the Bible, the word angel means messenger. So angels come with messages from God, and this angel came with a message. He was holding in his hand a little scroll that had a message on it. And let's stop here and remember something about our God and about the book of Revelation. He has told us things. He communicates with us. Isn't this awesome about our God? That the God who created the heavens and the earth and who also created you didn't just leave you to grope around in the dark and try to figure out life on your own. He has spoken to us in his word. And in the book of Revelation, we see this ongoing process of him giving his word to us. So God's word is amazing. In it, we learn about God. We learn about the purpose of life. God gives us explanation of events that have happened in the past, and he tells us about things that will come in the future. And, and let me say one more amazing thing about the Word of God. Uh, when I was a high school student, I started reading it daily, and I expected that when I did that, I would learn things about God, and I did. But what I didn't expect was that I would learn things about me. And maybe, I'm guessing many of you in the room are the same way. But I was amazed when I read this book that was, you know, 2,000 years old, and I felt like it was explaining me better than I had ever explained me. I learned about my sin. I, I learned about who God wanted me to be. And I was amazed. And I just want to urge you on that point, uh, just by way of application, get to know God's Word. God will teach you who He is, and He'll teach you who you are. He will guide you into truth, he will strengthen you for the life that he wants you to live. Let's be people who regularly seek God by humbly embracing the word that he has given to us. So here in Revelation 10, we see God giving more of his word to his people. And let's move on to verses 3 and 4 then. And I now want to start rereading these verses. I know I've already read them, but uh, one of my professors in seminary said this, and it made sense to me. You should read through the passage more than once. Why not? It's God's word. We'll be blessed if we do it. So we're going to start rereading these verses now, starting in verse 3. And he gave a loud shout, like the roar of a lion. Any kids here want to do the lion roar? Uh, All right. Thank you. Thank you. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So John was about to write down what these seven thunders said, but he was told to stop. Now this is a, a little bit odd, we might think, because elsewhere in the book of Revelation, John writes down what he saw and what he heard and gave it to us. But here the voice from heaven says, don't write it down. Stop. And it makes me wonder what those seven thunders said. Now we've, we've seen three other groups, well we've seen two other groups of seven, we'll see another one coming. There were the, the uh, seven seals, which brought judgment the seven trumpets, which brought judgment, and later on, the seven bowls of God's wrath, which, which bring wrath. So were these seven thunders another in that category? Are they going to bring wrath and judgment and punishment? Or do they have something else to say? We don't know. Because God, this is something that he didn't want us to know. And, and that's something interesting about God. There are things that he wants us to know, so he has told them to us. And there are other things that God is okay with us not knowing. And I think that both sides of that are a great reminder for us. Uh, on the one side, the fact that God does reveal anything to us is a mercy to us. It's a gift to us that, that we can know things from him. But on the other hand, there's things that we don't know. And we're told that we won't know uh, until we get to see him face to face. And that should just give us some pause and remember that we don't know everything. 
Okay, let's move on then to verses 5 and 6. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them the earth and all that is in it and the sea and all that is in it and said there will be no more delay. So here this angel who stands on the land and the sea raises his hand to heaven and swears by the one who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and all that's in them. It's a reminder to us that God is in sovereign control of all of creation. He not only created it all, but he is still in charge of it all. He's the one who can send his angel to stand with one foot in the sea and one foot in the land. It's just, I mean, can you picture it? These fiery pillar legs, one in the sea and one on the land. It's a reminder that God is still in control of his creation. Now, sometimes, perhaps, we get this sense that things are spinning out of control. Do you ever get that feeling? Perhaps as you're watching the news and you hear about a natural disaster where thousands of people died, you ever feel like, oh man, that was out of control? Or, or maybe you see some senseless acts of crime and, and you start to get this, this worry or this concern in your heart. Does that ever happen to you? Or maybe you're really frustrated what politicians are doing right now. Or maybe you're really sad that your favorite politician uh, didn't make it to the final two. Do you ever feel like things are not going the way that you want them to? Do you ever worry about that? Well, we're commanded in the Bible not to worry. Um, but we're also reminded that God is in control. We do not have to be concerned. God is in sovereign control of all of this. In fact, he's even sovereign over the punishment and the judgment and the wrath that are coming that we're reading about in the book of Revelation. So when this angel says there will be no more delay, it's a reminder to us that God is still in control. His plan is still moving forward. Now, in chapter 8 and 9, like I said, we saw the first six of the seven trumpets which brought mass destruction. And now, as we move on to verse 7 and in chapter 10, we're going to hear about the seventh trumpet that is to come. So let's look at verse 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now this is a loaded verse. We're going to spend a little bit of time walking through this one. It's really, there's some awesome things in here. Um, when this seventh angel blows the seventh trumpet, it says the mystery of God will be accomplished. What does that mean? Um, well, hold on to that for just a moment, and let's look at the phrase right after it. Just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. Now that word announced, I, I want you to know this, in, in behind it, in the Greek, is the word for gospel. Um, if you have the NASB version of the Bible, I think in your footnote it has in there a, a, a note that I would say is probably more accurate than any of the other translations. It talks about God preaching the gospel. So th this word announced has to do with the gospel that he has announced to his servants, the prophets, which they have given that to us. It's in the Bible. So we're talking about the, the gospel here. What is going to be accomplished, that word accomplished there means brought to completion or brought to its final end. So this verse here is about a, an amazing thing, about God accomplishing the gospel. Now, also in there we see the word mystery. What does that word mystery mean? Well, there's a note in my Bible. I want to put that note on the screen here. The word mystery means something formerly hidden but now revealed in the gospel. So before Jesus came, we wondered, people wondered, how is God going to save his people? But now that Jesus has come, that mystery has been revealed. It has been made known to us what God will do. But now in Revelation 10:7, we see God 
bringing about what will happen. It's not just that we'll know about it, it's that God will actually bring it to completion. Now, this word mystery is an important word in the Bible. It's a word that the Apostle Paul is especially fond of. In the book of Ephesians, he talks about the mystery that all of God's children, Jews and Gentiles together, will become part of one body with Jesus Christ as the head. In the book of Colossians, I love how Paul talks about the mystery there. In one verse, he says the mystery is Christ in you. And in another verse, he says simply that the mystery is Christ. Now, it's called a mystery because it's almost unfathomable to think that the holy, perfect God would take up residence in us. But that's the mystery. We, who came into this equation as sin- sinful, imperfect human beings who follow our own way, who had turned our backs on God, who are called enemies of God in the Bible, the mystery is that God will save us through what Jesus Christ did and cleanse us, and not only that, but take up residence in us. That's why Paul calls the mystery there, Christ in you. It's, it's a mystery because it's so amazing what God has done, and we would have had no way to, to figure that out or to gain access to it on our own. It's only through what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, and it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can have this relationship with him. And then in Ephesians and Romans, Paul says that the mystery is the gospel. Again, just that, that message that we can have a relationship with God forever through faith in Jesus Christ. So getting back to Revelation 10.7 then, we see that the mystery of God, that, that message of the gospel, will be accomplished or brought to completion just as he pronounced in the gospel message to his servants, the prophets. Do you get all that? The mystery of God is revealed. The God who has always wanted to live with us will bring this to completion. And when does it say that it will happen here? At the seventh trumpet when the seventh trumpet is about to be sounded. Now, we'll also see next week in chapter 11, when the seventh trumpet is sounded, that it will result in wrath, judgment, and destruction for those who reject God's plan. So chapter 10, like I mentioned, stands as a pause or an interlude in between the destruction of chapters 8 and 9 and in between the salvation for God's people, but also the destruction for the wicked of chapter 11. And it should cause us then to ask the question, which side of that am I going to be on? If God's going to bring about salvation for his people and wrath for his enemies, what camp do you fall in? Now, we'll get back to that in a little bit. Uh, but allow me to point out something else about verse 7. We're going to take a little side trip here. Um, I, I hesitated for a couple days on figuring out whether or not we were going to take this side trip or not, but I decided we're going to do it. Um, now, at the beginning of my sermon series, I told you that we are not studying the book of Revelation so that we can argue about the timeline of events. That's kind of the first thing that some people want to do is they look at the book of Revelation and say, well, here's my plan, and what's your plan? And um, We even once in a Bible study uh, drew out our plans and compared them all and contrasted them all. And, uh, and I think we did it in a civil way. But, but what we're not going to do here is we're not going to argue, we're not going to separate, we're not going to let this bring disunity. But at the same time, about halfway through this sermon series, I thought maybe it's about time that I let you in on a little bit of what my view is on when the rapture will happen. Okay, you familiar with the term rapture? It's this biblical idea that God will take his children to be with him. He'll actually snatch us up from the ground and take us to meet him in the air. And it, 
It'll be for those who are alive and have faith in Christ, but it'll also be for those who have already died but had faith in Christ. God will take us up to be with him. It's called the rapture. Now, in our church and in our denomination, the Evangelical Free Church of America, we are free to disagree on the timing of the rapture. There are four main views of it. There's pre-tribulational rapture, meaning that, that Jesus will come before the tribulation. There's post-tribulational, meaning that Jesus will come after the tribulation. And then there's two in the middle. There's a mid-tribulational view and a pre-wrath view. Now, in our denomination, you're free to choose any one of those four views, and, and, and we're okay with that. Now, there are other things in our denomination that we're not okay with disagreeing on. For example, we believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to, to salvation. It's only through faith in him that we can be saved. We believe in the Trinity. Uh, we believe that the Bible is God's word and that it contains no errors. Those are important things. And if you're, if you're still searching on some of those issues, we want you to keep searching, but we want you to know that that's what we believe. And, and we wouldn't say in here that we're free to disagree on those. But on the issue of the rapture, the timing of it, yes, we are free to disagree. Okay. Um, one, other side, one other caution here before I give you my view. Uh, again, I don't want this to separate us. And what I do want is I want all of us, whatever our views are, to be from the Bible. So, and, and by the way, um, I hold my view loosely. So some of you might be ready to throw some fruit or tomatoes or something at me. Uh, I want you to know that I hold my view so loosely that in fact I modified my view in the last two weeks as I've been studying the book of Revelation. So um, I'm not 100% sure on my view. I know that there are very strong arguments for other views out there. But whatever your view, I hope you hold it because of the Bible, what the Bible says, not just because of what other people say or not even just because of what you want. I think we'd all prefer the pre-tribulational rapture view. That would be the easiest for us because we wouldn't have to go through the tribulation. Um, but let's, let's look at what the Bible says. Well, and here, I just, I just want to give you, I'm not even going to give you my full view. I just want to give you what I think is an important link between this verse that's still up on the screen, verse 7, and some other verses in Scripture. Okay, so look again at verse 7. Uh, in there we see the seventh trumpet, we see the mystery, and we see that word announced, which again has what word behind it in Greek? Gospel. Good, you got it. Okay. Those three words. Now take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 52, where Paul says, Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. I believe that's a verse that's talking about the rapture. It sounds very, familiar, very similar to what's in 1 Thessalonians 4, which is maybe the most clear passage on the rapture. Uh, but what do we see in here? It's the same from Revelation 10.7. Well, we see the word mystery. See, look what Paul's doing here. He's explaining a mystery. And he's talking about the rapture, that time when the dead will be raised imperishable, and, and we will be changed. The, the dead and the alive in Christ, all who have ever had faith in Jesus Christ, will be brought up to be with God. And, and when does it say that it will happen in 1 Corinthians 15? At the last trumpet. Now, the three most important passages in the Bible that talk about the rapture, Matthew 24, 1 Corinthians 15, and 1 Thessalonians 4, um, all talk about a trumpet. And here, specifically, it's called the last trumpet. And in Revelation 10, we see, what do we see? I'll, I'll go back to it here. We saw the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, and the mystery of God accomplished 
just as he announced in the gospel to his servants, the prophets. So I see a strong connection then between the rapture and the seventh trumpet of Revelation 10. Now, if you're keeping score at home, that puts me in a mid-tribulational or possibly a post-tribulational. I just read one guy yesterday. I, I thought it would put me in the mid-tribulational view, and then I read a guy yesterday who believes that the rapture happens at the seventh trumpet but called himself a post-tribulationalist. I don't have that one figured out. So I don't have even my own view figured out. Um, but that's where it puts me. Um, and then let me just say this at the end of what I've said here. Um, it's okay with me if you disagree with me on this. I hold this view loosely. I hope it doesn't lead to disunity. I hope that nobody leaves here sad today like, oh, my pastor disagrees with me on this. Or um, Some of you might be shocked to hear that I don't believe in a pre-tribulational rapture view. And that's Again, humbly and with full acknowledgement that I might be wrong, this is the view that I'm loosely holding uh, as I try to figure out. I think in some ways, why are there four major views of this? I think it might be because there's part of this that God wants to remain a mystery. We're told that we don't know about that day or that hour. And, and I think that we should have charity with each other as we look at this view and recognize that we might disagree on it. And uh, if some of you want to talk to me about that, I'd be glad to do that. I hope it doesn't bring disunity. Um, and let me just close off this side trip with a quote I heard from a pastor recently. Um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him because I don't have it exactly, but he said, years ago, in regard to the second coming of Jesus and the rapture, I moved from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. So that's me, too. I don't want to tell Jesus when he can come or when the rapture can come. I want to welcome him when he does come. But anyways... Let's wrap a bow on that side trip here, and that's just, I know some of you might have been curious. Some of you probably have had this question, what does Revelation say about the rapture? Well, the word rapture actually never occurs in the book of Revelation, so that's, that's one thing that's interesting to me as well. Um, so we kind of almost in some ways have to read our view into it, which is always a dangerous thing to do, and we should do it with caution. But anyways, that's, uh, that's a few words on that. But let's close up our passage now. Uh, Revelation 10.8. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So again, we see this angel, and at this point, John is told to take the scroll from the angel, and then verses 9 through 11. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Um, by the way, some, in some translations, they use the word bitter instead of sour. And that reminds us of a passage in Ezekiel 3 in the Old Testament where Ezekiel was told to eat a little scroll containing God's message. It was sweet in his mouth, and he was told to deliver that message to the people. Now, some people, he was told, would accept his message and would repent of their sins, but other people, he was told, would not repent of their sins, would not accept this message. So Ezekiel said in that chapter that he went, even though he had had this sweet word of God, that he went in bitterness and in the anger of his spirit. So God's word was sweet, but there was also some bitterness. And that's the same thing we see here in Revelation 10, that there was a sweetness to God's word. And I think all of us who know God and love his word, we know that sweetness of his word. But there's also this bitterness to it, and we see this clearly in the book of Revelation, that some people reject God's plan. So in that sense, God's word brings a, a bitterness on those people. And one theologian even suggested that this bitterness could be in regard to Christians, that, that part of God's word for us 
like Jesus has promised us in the Gospel of John, is that we will have to face sufferings in this world. So that could be the bitterness there as well. Um, let's try to wrap up this chapter now, though. Let's conclude. What do we see here? Well, for one, we see the continuing, unfolding plan of God. As we walk through the book of Revelation, he continues to tell us things about what will happen. Remember, it's called Revelation because God reveals things to us. Now, we've already seen punishment and wrath, and we're going to see more to come. But we also see a sweetness to God's word. And I just want to point you again back to chapter 7. Even if you disagree with me on the view of the rapture, that's fine. We can all agree that Jesus is coming again and that there is a sweetness to this idea that God will bring about, will accomplish the end goal of the gospel. That is good news for us. Again, all disagreements aside about the timing of the rapture, we all believe that Jesus is coming again and that when he comes, it will be the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And that is a sweet thing that we should rejoice in. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning and worship together. Because we look forward to that salvation. Uh, the salvation that God has already begun in sending Jesus. The salvation that he's brought to us through his word. And the salvation that he will finish in the future at the, at the second coming of Jesus. But verse 10 then stands as a pause. It's a place for us to stop and remember that we will either receive salvation from God or face his wrath. God has given us his message, his word, and he's clearly told us about how things will end and he's clearly told us about how we can know whether we'll be with him forever. And he's warned us about wrath for those who reject him. Let's look at a verse from John 3, 36. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's an important verse. I'm going to leave that one on the screen for the, the rest of the sermon here, which is coming to a close shortly. But um, such an important thing to remember, that either we have life through Jesus Christ, or we face God's wrath apart from him. There's another verse in Revelation 20:15 that speaks about this. It says, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Make no mistake about it. God has told us the end. He's told us about punishment that will come on the evildoers. But his heart's desire is to save us from that wrath through his Son, Jesus Christ. God has a plan. I hope you see that as we walk through the book of Revelation. That we may not know all about it, but God most definitely has a plan. In many of those movies about the end of the world, everything seems to be out of control. But in the book of Revelation, we see that things are very much under God's control. And yes, there's a lot of punishment, destruction, and wrath, but it's all under the watchful eye of God. And God has told us how we can avoid his eternal wrath through faith in Jesus Christ. So again, John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. So I just want to, want to give you some pause here to ask yourself the question, do you have life through Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? It's the only way for you to avoid God's wrath. It's the only way for you to have what the Bible calls the life that is truly life. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And if not, the only other option is to reject him. Now yes, there is the option of seeking Maybe some of you are at a crossroads and you're not sure whether Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior or not. Well, I would like to urge you that he is 
and that eventually, and perhaps even very soon, you should make that decision. You should either receive him. No, you shouldn't reject him. You should receive him. I won't, I won't give you an either-or option. Those are the two choices. The only one that's any good is to receive him. Have you done that? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? God has a message for you. It's a message of life through Jesus Christ. Will you eat it? Will you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? I want to close in prayer now. Father, we just come before you. We thank you that you've told us about the end. Thank you also that in your mercy you've told us how we can avoid wrath by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And God, we just come before you right now and if there is anyone who has not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we just say, God, I know that I need you. Thank you for sending Jesus. I now pray to receive him as my Savior and Lord. I pray that you would forgive me for all of my sins and I give my life fully to you. And God, for all of us here, we just thank you that you've told us about eternity. Eternity with you. We're so looking forward to that, God. We thank you for it. We thank you for how you rescue us from wrath. But God, we pray that right now, as we wait, that we would be faithful servants who do your will, that we would be watchful, that we would walk around with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit every moment of our lives, that we would honor you now as we wait for the second coming of Jesus as we wait for you to bring about the completion of the gospel in our lives. But again, God, we thank you and we praise you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.